Hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Vagabond Actors, where three of Europe's premier acting teachers will take a topic that is near and dear to actors' hearts and discuss it and turn it around and hopefully provide some useful guidance on the subject. My name is Brian Kasp. I'm coming to you from Prague, the Czech Republic. Joining me, as always, is Gary Condes, who's based in London. Hello, Gary. Hello, Brian. Good evening, all the way from London. And Andrea Helene, who is in Mallorca, Spain. How are you, Andrea? Hi, I'm quite well, guys. Thank you. All right. And we have a holiday-themed episode tonight, or at least it seemed like it was a holiday-themed episode when I thought it up, which is how to talk to our relatives and our friends and our loved ones about what our job is and how it's not something that is nine to five and how to deal with maybe pushback that we're getting from our relatives. But before we get to that, we want to check in with Andrea and Gary and myself about what kind of artistic experiences we've been having this week. And actually, I just wanted to mention why we do this, because we do this every week. And it's not just so that we can talk about all the great stuff that we might be doing for our artistry, but it's also a way of getting you guys, the listeners, to think about what are you doing for your artistry week in and week out. And it's a good example of just saying, this is how you can be active in your career. And we're hopefully providing inspiration and guidance in that way as well. So just, I just I thought about that and, and maybe it wasn't clear why we do this every week. But Andrea, so what have you been up to this week? Well, it's been a good week. I assisted another actress here with a self-tape submission that she had for a German project. It was a great time to work on with her. She's really lovely and bright and was good to be working. I've also been part of the creation of a fundraiser that's coming up on Friday the 18th. This is going to be a virtual concert that I'm helping to organize, sponsored by the Palma Music Studios, which is an incredible professional recording studio in the heart of Palma de Mallorca. Nice. They are bringing in like five musicians, bands to perform a virtual concert. Everybody's donating their time and their talents. I'm going to be playing a role in it. In between the acts, we'll have some readings from Christmassy holiday pieces in different languages. And people will be donating money to causes near and dear to my heart, in particular to food banks here in Mallorca that are very, very busy this year. So we've enlisted a few organizations that are doing great work, and we're going to be collecting donations on their behalf and hopefully providing a really great concert experience. So you you can check out my Instagram. Instagram bio for more information about that event, but it'll be Friday evening, the 18th of December at 8 p.m. Central European time, and I hope you can tune in. And I have to say, it's been really great to work with, you know, such bright and capable people who are willing to say really quickly, yes, we can make it happen. Let's do it. So that's what I've been working on. Great. Yeah. And Gary, what about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, that is fantastic. That's a real seasonal thing that you're getting into there, mm-hmm. Andrea. And uh, I'll just try and tune into that. Thank you. Well, what I've been up to is, yes, this may surprise you, but I have become a student again. And mm-hmm. I've been doing a course on psychology behavioral psychology and transactional analysis. Because I've always, for many years now, I've been thinking I've always wanted to get further into these aspects that will also help my acting and my teaching and coaching. And I've always felt like if I'm really dealing with a behavioral-based technique, that I should really go further into it and look at the sort of psychological aspects behind it. And I was always afraid of it because I thought it might be a bit too intellectual and all the rest of it. Anyway, I took the plunge and I started to do a course and it specializes in transactional analysis, which which is founded by a guy called Eric Byrne, which is a method of therapy where it charts sort of social transactions where they're analyzed and they determine ego states of the communicator and the receiver. Sounds quite highfalutin, wow, I know. But it's, 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 <laughs> but it's really interesting because it does bear down on uh, you know all the work that we do. And it really gives you a deeper understanding of personality and the behaviors that drive a personality and mm. how they come about in communication. For instance, you know, one self-image 
garbage as humans and how that comes about, um, which is the same for characters. You know, the self-image is a, is a product of who we are and you can have um, a body image or a man image or a woman image or a family image or a money image. It's like it's your relationship to all these things tell you who you are. And another thing is sort of a levels of attachment in the world. What are we predisposed to as humans? Again, it tells us a lot about our psychology. It's just been really interesting on one level and another level I'm just seeing if it can be useful for my work and maybe able for me to evolve training exercises and, and also creative work, deeply getting into character. So let's see. Um, but it's been really interesting. That sounds fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's one of those ideas that probably a lot of actors have to be like, oh, this is very psychological. What we're doing with our craft, maybe I should go and study psychology. And I've always chickened out before I've ever gotten a chance to, but I, I'm so <laughs> impressed that you've taken the plunge to do it. Well, you're right, because the danger is, is like anything we've talked about in a lot of podcasts, is the danger of things becoming intellectual and not being actable and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a lot of theory, but I don't think it would have been useful to me if I'd have just started here and then gone into acting. But it's because I've got all this grounding, particularly as a teacher, that mm -hmm. I can see correlations and I can maybe see things that I could possibly use um, to ask questions about in order yeah. to create character. But as long as it doesn't stay theory or become theory then that's okay and yeah i mean i've been thinking about it for a long time and i just thought now that i've got the time i'm going to see whether it is useful that's it you know and i think you know curiosity has always paid dividends to me so um yeah i've just let my curiosity take the better of me that's great uh and what about me yes, yes what about you brian yeah. well <laughs> one of the things that is happening is some of my acting students have decided that they wanted to do an advent calendar of self-tapes. And so they formed a group on Facebook with people, some of them are my students and some of them, you know, are in the constellation of people that are my students or their friends or things like that. And one of the students is releasing a scene for them to tape and then they all tape it and watch it and give each other feedback. And I'm giving some feedback to the students and I think Andrea is going to give some feedback to the students yeah, as well. Give it today. And it's a really good practical experience for them to put some work out there and to feel like they're doing something that is not just class-based. I think it's a really great thing. And I'm really proud of the students for taking the initiative. And I'm really proud of the scenes that are there. Great. That's a great little exercise. Yeah. It's, it gives you an end result. Exactly. Know? And I think there's a lot of great learning opportunities there, not just for the feedback that I might give them or that Andrea might give them, but for the feedback that they might gain from watching so many other of their peers do the same tape and do the same scene. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really positive. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just really proud of them. That's all. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. So let us move in our jolly way into our main topic for the night, <laughs> which originally 
I had thought this podcast might be named Negative Relatives, which I know my mom <laughs> listens to the podcast. It's not particularly about my personal experience, but traditionally the holiday time is a time when families all get together and, and you might be in a position where you need to talk to your relatives about what it is you do. I know that it can be difficult for actors or people who work in a freelance artist job to explain to their relatives and their loved ones who might work in a more traditional setting, exactly what it is they do. And there might be pushback from those loved ones, like, why don't you get a real job? Or even, you know, and this was my case for with my grandparents, especially saying, you know, I would tell them what I was doing and they'd say, oh, there's so many people that want to do that. That's so hard. And I thought it would be a good time for us to talk about how to talk to your relatives and how to deal with explaining what it is that we do. So, I thought we would talk first about maybe some personal experiences with people that didn't quite understand. And this is a little bit dicey because some of our personal experiences listen to the podcast. So we want to be understanding first of all, but I thought we might talk a little bit about what our experiences have been, or maybe as teachers talking to students about what their experiences have been. Well, let me start by pointing out that I personally was lucky in a lot of respects because my parents basically abandoned me. (laughs) (laughs) And that was lucky. No, but what I mean is, let me qualify that. And it's kind of true, but it's actually uh, not the way you think it is. My parents retired and they had me very old and they had me late. And uh, by the time they were retired and ready to go back to Spain, I was 17, nearly 18, and they needed to go. So I was left on my own. So actually at that age, I was like, woohoo, I'm free. I'm on my own. I can do whatever I want. You know, obviously very quickly soon after that, I missed them and all that other stuff came in. And it was like, actually, you know what? It's not, you know, I'd like to have them around a bit more, a bit closer. But I didn't personally have any pushback on what I was doing because that was the point when I started to get into acting was when they decided to leave. They decided Mm -hmm. to leave when I was in a good place. When I left school, I worked for an insurance brokers, believe it or not. So I was in the business world. And then I dropped a bombshell on them and said, I'm going back to study, becoming an actor. They weren't necessarily overly supportive, but they weren't negative either. They just said, well, you know what, get on with your life. I think they were so tired of working and so looking forward to their their retirement. They were just like, you are, you get on with it. You've made a choice, so you get on with it. So I've never had sort of pushback in that way. But what I have experienced is kind of the opposite. I would like you to be a bit more interested because not coming from an artistic background in any shape or form, they never saw this as a a realistic thing and they never saw it as something that they really understood. Mm -hmm. But what I started to do was just send them programs of the plays I was in and if I won an award something or some of the reviews positive stuff and I started to send that to them and and lo and behold this sort of drip feeding had the effect of turning the oil tanker around very slowly and Mm -hmm. before I knew it my dad would say so what are you doing now so well I'm in Shakespeare's as you like it he was like oh okay all right and there'd be no more conversation but then I'd go and visit them for Easter or whatever and then we'd be sitting down at a meal and before I knew it, he'd quote a couple of lines of of my character. And I was like, hmm. wow. So that's not like a lot of actors get, but I think it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't included them in it. Absolutely. And rather than just leaving it as it was and going, well, you don't understand me, but it was just a way of keeping a connection from child to parents, but also it was a way of including them. So they maybe got to understand it. And from there on in, you know, they would ask and they would inquire and maybe even my dad would research a play or two and and try to to understand it. And that actually made us closer Hmm. because actually we weren't necessarily a real close knit family anyway. And that actually brought us closer. So not answering your question about pushback, but certainly dealing with an experience of deepening one's understanding between son and parents when they don't really have a clue about what it is that you do because they're not from that background is is to include them and, and maybe sort of surreptitiously educate them that sounds a very sort of highbrow way of looking at it, but, you know, educating them because they've never been to the theater much in their lives. So it's more about putting in a bit of effort to connect with them from my world. Absolutely. 
What about you, Andrea? Did you have examples of trials and tribulations as a, as a starving artist or pushback about your choices? Uh, anything like that? Where do I begin? Uh, yes, I have some experience with this. Just another sort of experience. And this isn't wildly unique, but it, that's why I think it's important to share because I certainly have had plenty of friends and students with similar experiences. So I want to just lend this from a sense of empathy. I always loved performing. I did musicals. I sang. I danced. I did this all through school. And my parents were very proud of the work I did. And they were, they were extremely supportive of all of the hours that we spent in the theater and after school and all of our productions. So it was a welcome addition to my academic and home life. And then when I went to college, you know, of course, I think the expectation was that I would leave it as a hobby and focus on you know, a business life. And I did that to a degree, but I spent as much time as I could doing shows in addition to taking care of my regular studies. And my parents were still supportive of this, but, you know, it was clear that their ranking of priorities was that, you know, academics needed to come first. And this was a wonderful hobby that I enjoyed. And Uh one year, I think maybe I was a junior in college or something, members of the Royal Shakespeare Company came to my campus to do a workshop with us. And they were amazing. And I had such a great time with the workshop. And one of them came to me afterwards, a woman, and she said, you know, I think you should seriously consider doing this professionally. You know, on the one hand, it was such a wonderful thing to hear. And then it sent me into like, not a spiral, but really like a serious assessment going to my friends whose judgment I trusted and saying, "Uh, what am I going to do? Is this really something you think I could consider? And, And I remember one of my friends was so lovely. She said, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like, do you really feel you'll lose your parents' love or support if you decide to do something like this? And it was a great game changer for me in terms of considering whether art could play a strong role in my life. Then when I graduated college and started working in the real world and shortly thereafter said, hey, I'm going to do some professional work and I've found an agent and I've joined Screen Actors Guild because I just booked my first commercial. Then I really saw the worry pop up and my mother said something to the effect of, I was just reading, you know, that 97% of all actors are unemployed at any given time. And I don't want that for you. You know, that just doesn't make sense to me. That was the feeling that she and my father struggled with for a long time. You know, how seriously is Andrea really going to take this thing? And let's make sure that she can, you know, pay her bills and she can take care of herself. So as I almost went off to law school at one point, my mother was thrilled and told everybody about my law school entrance exam results. For years, she would say at all the dinner parties, you know, Andrea almost went to law school. She should have gone to law school. So I carried that hyper-awareness of my parents' ideas about what I was doing for a long time. And I agree with you, Gary, that it's important to try and include our family members and our loved ones on the path and invite them to get excited about what we're doing and understand it better. It's challenging if they don't show enthusiasm for it, if they don't ask, or if they ask and you answer, they go, that's nice. Did I tell you about Mrs. So-and-so? Which is what I experienced a lot, as you can tell. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's hard. There's a judgment that we as artists and as sensitive human beings tend to tune into quite deeply, I think, about whether or not people accept what we're doing. Some people are fortunate enough to have developed an idea that it just really doesn't matter. What anybody else thinks doesn't matter. But I would say that most people do care about how their most favorite people uh, see them, whether they have respect for their choices, 
and whether they truly understand the drive that we have to create in this fantasy world and to take these huge risks and never know from one day to the next what we're going to do or if it's going to be successful. I think if we can remind ourselves that that worry comes from a desire to see us succeed and be healthy and take care of ourselves, or that it's exacerbated by a lack of understanding of the world because they just don't have any exposure to it other than through us. I think if we ourselves can offer some empathy for their lack of understanding and try and stay gentle with that, that's probably the best way rather than to feel that we need to be proving something or arguing something, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. These expectations that we tune into, that we we use these skills so well in the craft and then in our real lives, these skills can mean we are really subject to a bit of a roller coaster of an emotional experience. Yeah. Taking things personally yes, is a tough thing to hone in class or in your work and then mm-hmm. to try and turn it off when it's with people that you really care about. That's, that's a tough thing. That's right. What about you, Brian? Well, I mean, I don't think I would have come up with this as a topic if I didn't feel like it was somewhere in my life. And the people that are in my life are incredibly loving and incredibly supportive and want the best for me, as you said, Andrea. And also at the beginning when you're starting out, because now I have a certain level of success and proven, at least nothing is for sure, but I've proven at least up until now that I can make my living from it. So that takes a certain level of worry out of the people that love me's mind. But I think that even with that, there's still a certain adjustment even now with the lifestyle of a freelance artist. And that can take some adjusting to and some kind of understanding. But I know that at the beginning of my relationship with my wife, there was an adjustment there because there are certain expectations about when work was supposed to happen that I didn't feel because I felt like I'm going to do the work when I need to do the work, which might be at night, it might be on the weekend, it might be whenever, and that wasn't her expectation. And so there's a certain friction there. In terms of becoming established, my grandparents, in in this loving way, would just talk to me about how difficult it was to be an actor. Just like Mm -hmm. you said, Andrea, you know, 97% of the people aren't working at any given time. Mm -hmm. And even though that's coming from a loving place, that's not, I think, what I want to hear as an actor. I can't remember where I heard this, but we have to have, as artists, a certain denial of reality in order to think that we can actually make it. Because (laughs) the reality really is that the numbers aren't good and it's not likely that we're going to make it. And, you know, that's just the reality, but we need to deny that. And that's hard for us to impart to the people that love us that they also need to deny it, at least when they're talking to us, in order for them to be supportive. Because we need to live at least least as much as we can in our delusion that we're going to be successful. And so that can be hard. Our listeners should also know before we kind of move into the next section that, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, but we're also quite privileged. And we have, like, I know that I personally haven't had to fight against a lot of resistance. And my background is coming from a upper middle class economic strata. And so there probably are places that we are missing to talk about this, where if you're coming out of poverty, or if you're coming out of a lot of cultural looking on this kind of profession as something that is just not done, then I think that there are extra challenges that that you might be facing that we may not be in the best place to address. So I just wanted to put that out there as well. Mm -hmm. So what do we do, right? Gary, you talked about some of it and Andrea as well with just communication and trying to educate the people that are around you in terms of like, well, this is what I'm doing with my life and this is what it means to me or this is how you can try and find the joy as well. Do you have other ways of dealing with people that you love that may not be as accepting or as understanding of what we're up to? I mean, yes, to reiterate what both of you said, and let's not forget, there can be different situations. And we kind of mostly, and I do believe it's mostly that, remember your parents love you, however it may come across in the obstacles they're putting or their points of view that they're giving you. End of the day, if they didn't care about you, they wouldn't be bothering objecting to what you do and the risk of jeopardizing your relationship with them and the risk of jeopardizing your life and your financial life and your career and all the rest of it. So it all comes from a good place. So there's that. But then 
there may well be other places where it is a lot more toxic and there is really a fight, a real fight going on. But first of all, from the standpoint that there's immediate relatives that just disagree with the best thing for you and your life, if we sort of proceed from there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you also have to take responsibility and, and I think give them a reason to believe in you. Because a lot of actors, I would assume, are facing this at a very delicate stage in their life and age of their life, late teens, early 20s when you're not necessarily independent, but give them a reason to believe you and show them that you can thrive and realize your needs despite following a path that they don't agree on. And that means that you've got to put your money where your mouth is to a certain extent. That doesn't mean I have to be a Hollywood star, but it's about doing all the necessary stuff, including looking after yourself financially so that you're not a drag on them, taking care of yourself health-wise, living-wise, all of that stuff, and then going out and really working for it and being serious about it so they can see that you are serious about it, not just talking about it. Because, yes, parents won't listen, but maybe sometimes all of this words and, and arguments isn't as strong as showing them that actually... I can be proud of my son or daughter because they are actually getting ahead in one way or another doing it. It's not necessarily going to happen straight away. So I suppose there's a a war of attrition, more so with some people than others. But if you stick to it, um, they'll either tire, (laughs) you hope. Yeah, it's that old adage, isn't it? If you're happy and they can see you're happy, surely they can't ignore that. I mean, I remember... Mm, after drama school I lived with a bunch of ex-students or that I was at drama school with you know and we lived in a a shithole it was a rat infested shithole in a rough part of London and my parents came around one time they didn't say anything because that's how they are but I could tell they were horrified and they couldn't get out of there quick enough then my dad was like where's the nearest restaurant we need to go and eat and then after that I moved on my own out of this because it was just it was not functional and then I moved into a small little bedsit literally there was one room with a shower in the corner and I I showed them to that that was about six months or a year down the line and they were hoping to see a bit more progression very clean and very nicely done and modern and again my mother was disappointed and you know it's like what's going on but and my dad was like (laughs) obvious questions oh you're doing a play yeah how much you're earning Mm -hmm. Uh, straight to those questions and it was but they could see that I was happy and they could see that actually I was okay And I wasn't going down some kind of disappearing up my own arse, trying to be something that I'm not. And if it's authentic, regardless of whether you're good or not, or whether you are successful or not, in terms of being a good actor, you'll find your way. You know, I always come back to Joseph Campbell, and I've mentioned him in the past, and I know Andrea likes a bit of Joseph Campbell. Mm -hmm. And it's about following your bliss, it's, it's about putting yourself on the kind of track that's been there for a while waiting for you, just didn't know it, and the, the life you ought to be living and doors will open. If you stick to it, if you're happy, regardless of how much money you're earning and all the rest of it, if you're truly happy and they can see that and stable, that actually wins through in the end or at least gives you a good fighting chance. Yeah. What about you, Andrea? Do you have, do you have some? I was just thinking about some of the other relationships that where we encounter potential conflicts or, you know, managing these expectations again. And it's interesting when you, when you talk about success, my skin gets a little tingly because I think that's one of the moons around this topic, how others define what success should look like or how our partners or our friends think we need to handle our business so that we can be successful or what the judgment is about our value if we're not successful the way that they think we could be or they judge that we'll never be successful because we're not successful now, right? So you shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. this because you're not booking the job this month. There's a lot around that expectation and managing that for ourselves and within relationships. There's also the day-to-day, you know, of the people that are in your daily life, how to manage the working hours and the scheduling and the boundaries about the work that you have to do from home. And certainly 2020 has illuminated that for a lot of people, how challenging it is to be 
working on something, you've got your headset on or your, your head's in the computer or you're off reading something and everybody wants to talk to you at once. And you're like, I'm working here. <laughs> it's like Dustin yeah. Hoffman. I'm working here, people. Andrea, can you go back quickly to this idea of dealing with the expectation of success yeah. and what that is? Can you provide some specific ways you might manage that? I think that you have to know yourself in this regard. Like, are you somebody who can plan your year? Are you somebody who loves to set goals, three-month goals, year goals, five-year goals? Do you have a sense of what it's going to take for you to be able to do something? If you understand that about yourself, you can tackle this. One of the things that has helped many students and many of my peers is finding accountability partners groups to do book readings with, to do plays with, to study with, to rehearse scenes with. Because if you're around other people who are also doing the work, they're managing their careers, they're managing the learning of the craft, and they understand you, there's a great deal of strength that can be gleaned from that. And they can also help you to identify a realistic assessment of what you think your success should look like. Let me put this to you. Yeah. So you you have a student yeah. who is in class and they look worried. The break is coming up. They're going to be, well, this is, imagine a future where the multiple families are actually in the same yeah. space together. And you say, what's wrong? And the student says, well, you know, I've just, things haven't really, I haven't really been booking that many jobs this year. And I, you know, I've been working hard, but, mm-hmm. and I've been trying to do it, but you know, I just feel like every time I go home, my parents are giving me a hard time and putting pressure on me for when is it going to happen? When am I going to see you on TV? When are we not going to have to support you financially anymore, right? Or, or when are you going to get a real job? So what would you say to that student who has to go and deal with that situation? I have had that exact conversation a number of times with my students, and I bet the two of you have as well. I think to some degree, it's what Gary said. It's, it's reminding them that if they're doing the thing that makes them happy, that's got to be the core that they hold on to, right? As they navigate these relationships and these understandings or misunderstandings. I think it's really helpful for actors to have a bit of a game plan so that they don't lose their minds on their loved ones when it happens. You know, I think you have to steal yourself a little bit going into this circumstance to go, you know, my buttons may get really pushed and Aunt Judy may just say that thing again and I may blow up on her. Yeah, I was going to say Uncle Frank. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Frank is going to be asking me when I'm why I'm not on NYPD Blue again. Exactly. Uncle Frank, Uncle Frank. You have to prepare yourself because uh, because it is so emotional for us. It's so emotional. They're not just judging whether or not we got a raise at the job that we've been doing for 13 years. They're judging whether or not we are doing the right thing for ourselves, whether we're doing right by our families, whether we're showing respect to the people who put us through school by taking on this crazy job. They're making a judgment about our talent. There's a lot that we feel when people go, oh, are you still doing that acting Thing. I didn't, oh, your mom didn't tell me that you were still doing that. I, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. okay, how's that going? Would I have seen you in anything recently? Oh. Yeah, what have you been in? Yeah, what have you been in? Did I, would I know you? Like all of those little things, all those little daggers that we feel. Yeah. And uh, I think if we, if we know we're heading into an environment that's not particularly welcoming or understanding, if you want some peace, you've got to prepare yourself. That's what I would tell a student. I mean, there is another thing you can do as well, which I've kind of had to do with a sort of overbearing parent, is get a third party to chime in. If you've got an ally in your family mm. or in your social group, and they know, let's say, your parents, if we're talking about your parents really well, you might have had Auntie Judy and Uncle Frank putting you down, but you might have Uncle Joey and Auntie Celia who are in your corner, you know, so maybe they could do something for you. So it's not just you versus them. And if it gets to a point where you are just, it's just noise at each other and you can't even communicate on a civil level, then maybe do it through proxy, through somebody else who can fight your corner, who is within mm-hmm. the family unit. And maybe, you know, sometimes a different person who they respect, they may be more open to listen. You know, I had to relay 
well, you know, I don't know how successful one can be in allaying a parent's fears when you start off with the sentence as I did with, I cannot guarantee your daughter success. (laughs) 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 But it's the bloody truth, right? It's the bloody truth. And, uh, you know, I could see that the, the eyes just get glazing over. <laughs> but she was a good actress and I just bigged up her positive points, you know, and I don't have children, but I could understand at least what maybe parents would like to hear. You know, and I said, you should be proud because she's a brilliant member of class. She's very intelligent. I don't know if you've heard her speak about Chekhov or Shakespeare. Uh, no, I haven't. Well, you should, because she's very articulate, you know. Mm. And that seemed to kind of get him off her back for a while. I think that my husband actually did that for me a little bit with my family. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a really good point. I'm going to throw some more potentials at you guys. So let's say loved ones aren't coming to your performances when Ooh. they have an opportunity. Or they aren't watching when you do get on television. Mm-hmm. They're not really watching. Mm-hmm. So they're not really supportive in that way. So how would you guys deal with that? We all have lives. And ultimately, I don't take it personally. I try not to take it personally. Now, of course, if no one comes ever, then you're going to start to think, well, what's up? But ultimately, you can only do what you can. And that is in the same way as you can take responsibility with what you can for auditions and castings and, and, and all the rest of it is invite them, invite them again. If in the end they don't come, don't let it be something that is an obstacle to your enjoyment of life and following your bliss. You can then yeah. talk to them about their lilies in their garden, in their pond, when you speak to them on a Sunday and that's it. And that's what they want to hear. And okay, that's good. My parents, I speak to my mother now and literally after 50 years, the same thing. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, good. I'm doing this show with Sam Rockwell, who's a Hollywood star. Um, What did you have to eat today? Um, Mm -hmm. What's the weather like? You know, God bless her. God bless her console. But, you know, and I'm like, okay, she isn't interested. It's not that she's not interested in me. It's just she doesn't understand that. So I would do everything I can so that I cover myself so that I know I've done everything possible And if it doesn't happen, then it's like I have to go, well, you know what? It's not on me and it's disappointing, but, you know, I'll I'll send them a a DVD of the uh, (laughs) – Which they won't watch. Or or, or a streaming link, yeah, or photo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe just send them photos in the program. that They can understand that maybe from a distance. Yeah. Mm. For that one, I would probably say – I think there's a few – prongs of it, I would probably say if you have enough of a relationship with the people that you're talking to or your loved ones to say, hey, you know, this really means a lot to me and it would really mean a lot to me for you to come and see it. Uh, emotional that might be a way to go no it's not but it's also honesty because they might not realize how important it is yeah Yeah. true Uh, so it's so it's not just blackmail i think if you can be honest like that then that might be something that they respect but Mm. maybe they won't i totally agree yeah i think that's really important to say this is my time i know it's hard to get out there i would really love to have you there it's it means a great deal to me I've worked hard on it. I really believe in it. It's really, really important. And I totally admit to having had my feelings hurt when friends haven't come to see performances. Totally hurts my feelings. (laughs) Yeah. But also, like you said, Gary, I mean, think about why you are doing this work in the first place. And if you can shift the reason why you do it from people are going to see me doing it to I'm going to have the joy of the experience of doing it, then you will be in much safer territory because then it won't matter who comes and sees it because you are taking the joy out of the doing of it and not Mm -hmm. the appreciation of it. Because, you know, I, I remember I was in a, in a play and my family is usually, I mean, my parents are very good about coming to see me and things. And I was in a play in Pasadena and I think I talked about this play because of the headshot episode and and the headshots that we got, but this is a different story. And and some of my family came to see it and the people that they really liked, at least one of the members of my family was the guy who I hated in the play. And so what you really love about what you do is not the same thing that the people that you love are going to see in what you do. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, even having someone come and see it may not be exactly the experience that you had hoped for anyway. Or you want. I mean, if they're negative, you don't need that mind space, right? Exactly. Oh, that was you up there. You know, we've all been to shows of our friends where we yeah. don't know what to say afterwards. Yeah. So then accept accept the relationship as it is and go, well, I'm doing, you know, the people who yeah. who matter will come and those who won't, well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So too much feedback oh, yeah. from your family about what you should be doing or how you should be doing it. Oh my God, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so they're too involved. You know. Let me see how I say this. Yeah, I think that can be a real problem because it can put you into a very defensive, argumentative state. And I'm not speaking from an experience at all. Um, We are all walking on eggshells. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this idea of like, whether it's about performance or how you're going about your career or how you're handling something, because we are the quote unquote product, right? Somebody can come to us with an idea about the craft or how we handle a scene or how our performance was, or they have strong ideas about how we should be networking or how we should be running our daily life or, you know. Have you guys heard this? Hey, you know, there's this show called Game of Thrones. You should be on that show. (laughs) I think every single actor has heard that from a family member, something along those lines. Or how about, I like when it's phrased like this. This is my favorite. How come you're not on that show? Yeah. How come she got that job and you didn't? You are much better than she is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you just have to say, this is them saying, I love you. (laughs) Yeah. I I would just say, well, how come you're not in management yet? Yeah. (laughs) How come you've worked at the same shitty job for 30 years? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) How come come you're not a partner yet? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So when the feedback is like, I want to tell you how to run your whole career, it can really backfire. So I have found that it's important sometimes to say to somebody, let's say I've just come off of a show and something didn't go the way I wanted, or a casting director said they were going to come and they didn't come, or, you know, I did a whole run of a show and it didn't impact my career in any way. It impacted me as an actor, but it did not impact my career. And the comment is, well, now what did that get you? Those are the moments when I have found it important to say, you know what, I appreciate your concern about it and I appreciate your business take on this right now. But uh, at the moment, I feel very tender about discussing this. So how about we talk about that when I feel less tender and I can sort of take a look at it and, you know, we can brainstorm together about what I might do for my career next. Like if I have the wherewithal, to say when I'm not up for that conversation and if I get heard, it's really helpful. Now that's a two-parter because I have to have the wherewithal to be calm and then I have to be heard (laughs) and not run over with, but, but, but this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Because I think sometimes people who love us and want to see us succeed also can see us as their projects. Yeah. Especially if they feel like we're not being successful on their scale. Yes. Mm -hmm. Rough. But it sounds like, and just to move on to kind of solutions, which we've touched on as we, as we've gone, but Mm -hmm. it sounds like a major, major solution is just communicate more. Yeah. Communicate about what your path is, communicate about where you find success, communicate about how you want to be talked to or what the endeavor means to you, to the, to, to your loved ones who may not be able to see into your soul. Communicate, as Andrea just said, about how or when you can have feedback, when you'd be open to getting feedback in the first place. Um, so the more you can communicate, the easier it will be. It doesn't mean that it will be easy all the time. And then the other thing that we touched on in terms of solution was to have an active support system, whether that's peers, people in your acting class, or a mentor or a teacher that you might have that is supportive and, or or a dog, you know, or an an animal that's just going to give you unconditional love and not give you feedback about how you should be doing more in your career. Um, That might be good. Yeah. Or if you can get a dog that could give you really good acting notes after they've seen your performance. Now, that would be wonderful. Gary, we would be out of a job. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) 
Can you imagine? That would be a real novel acting coach. Exactly. (laughs) And so if you have a good support system of people, and maybe it is a relative, like Gary said, that can be an intermediary between you and other relatives or loved ones that may not have a an active appreciation for the struggle that we're all in. Mm -hmm. So those are all, all really good ways of coping. And then some other things, which Gary, I know that you're down with, which is getting into uh, meditation or journaling or something like that to kind of release the pressure of having to deal with relatives who may not have a a very active understanding of the journey. Mm -hmm. So breathing is an important way to deal with it or meditating on it. So that could also be a solution. If it's not resolving itself and you are absorbing a lot of this negative attitude or point of view or advice that is not really helpful, um, then yeah, all of that is you need to do things like that. But for me, it varies for different people. With sort of loved ones, if we're talking about loved ones and parents in particular, I would just listen and kill them with kindness and just nod and go, that's a great idea. Yeah, great, great, great. And just do the path of least resistance with them. But with my siblings, perhaps I would maybe push back a bit and make a stance, but that's to do with my relationship with them. But I think Mm -hmm. there are times where you have to perhaps assert yourself, draw a line and, and make a stance and say, no, this is not what I need. This is not helpful and not necessarily in an aggressive way. Uh, or an overtly, reactively angry way, but in a very assured way. And you can only be the judge of that in the situation with, mm-hmm. with regards to one's relationships. But I think sometimes you also have to do that. And if I get any notes from peers who I don't respect about certain things, then my stuck answer is, look, opinions are like arseholes. Everyone's got one. <laughs> Gary, it was only that one time, and I thought it was a really good note that I gave you. So I apologize. Um, here's the from you would be fine. Sometimes you just have to go, like you know. Well, here's the other thing: use it for your acting. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fuel. How many actors? How many hundreds of actors have we observed in emotional preparation work? And we know. We know their loved ones are figuring heavily into it. This is part of a, it may feel like a burden that you're bearing to deal with uh, a situation like we're describing, but it's also potentially part of what makes you unique and great and powerful and emotional. And maybe you need to write a script about it, or you need to shoot a scene about it, or you need to bring it to your next rehearsal. I mean, that's the, that's the other side of it is that we do have this ability to take these kind of experiences and find some creative use for them. Yeah. I think process them. Never forget that. Good point. And just so you all know, like, so we put this question out a few days ago to Twitter to see if people out there in the Twitterverse and the Vagabond Actors fan club had any thoughts on it. And Daniel Johnson, who is, he's a filmmaker and he also does a lot of showreel scenes and and is giving lots of great advice on actors' showreels. Uh, he does often look at showreels on Twitter, so definitely give him a follow at Daniel Johnson UK on Twitter. And he wrote back and said, I rarely think that family members are unsupportive, just that this type of career is beyond comprehension to people trained in belief in the nine to five. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you need to train your family to understand what it is you do. The process can be fun when viewed this way. And I think that's a good point, which is when you are communicative and your family does start to get what it is that you do and what the needs are of this kind of wacky career that we have, which is kind of working all the time and none of the time and all hours, and you might be doing one thing one day and something completely different the next day, when they start to get it, it can actually be really great. And so it's worth striving for that understanding and and it's worth kind of trying to put into practice these ideas of, hey, this is what it is that I'm doing. And and the more you can communicate that, I think the better you'll be. Mm -hmm. And as always, if you guys out there in the Vagabond Actors land have thoughts on your experiences with family members, or if you have other ideas of other topics that you might want to hear us discuss, challenges that you might be facing or successes that you might be having, definitely let us know. We're at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and Instagram, and we have a Facebook page. And we do really love hearing from you. So, So let us know what you're up to. 
And before we go, we just want to check in and see if any of us have seen something that we want to recommend to our listeners. So Andrea, what have you seen this week? Have you seen anything that you want to recommend? I've been listening to some podcasts that have been really informative. I've been listening to Mark Marin at your suggestion. Uh, mm-hmm. To our listeners, if you've not heard him, be aware that some of the episodes are a little crass. The podcast is called WTF, which yeah. stands for What go. the Fuck. Yeah. So there you go. So, so there, yeah. there's that. So, you know, just be pre- a little prepared for that. But um, I'm listening to an interview he did with Glenn Close, which is very interesting. And yeah. also James Kahn, whom I've met before. I worked with his son, Scott Kahn, in Los Angeles. And he has some incredible stories about his time working on The Godfather and uh, the level of improvisation that he did on that set. I did not realize how much James Caan had improvised on those projects. So that's been really interesting. And listening to a couple other podcasts that have to do more with entrepreneurs, people finding second chapters in their work lives, people over the age of 45 and 50, exploring new things, some, I don't know, some cool business ideas that I'm listening to on some podcasts. I'm a bit all over the place, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to take my car time and um, make it learning time. That's where I've been. Cool. What about you, Gary? What have you been seeing that you want to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, well, I've got a British feature film that has just been released, which uh, I have to admit I had a small vested interest in because I coached the lead actor in. But it, the film as a whole, even though you may feel that I'm prejudiced towards it, uh, I probably am, is fantastic. It's fantastic. It's British indie filmmaking at its best, I feel. And it's the best British indie film I've seen for a long time. It's a small film, very low budget, but it's it's get, garnering lots of great reviews across the board whether it's some a paper like the guardian you know a liberal newspaper like the guardian or a tabloid like the sun or the star so it's covering all bases and it's called muscle and mm-hmm. it's about a call center worker whose life has become so monotonous and dreary and aimless and his girlfriend leaves him because he's just a feeble specimen of a male and he ends up joining the gym so he's not alone and he meets this mysterious bodybuilder who starts to train him and of course he starts to get really into the culture of bodybuilding and it all gets a little brutal and savage but it is laced with really dark humor really dark humor what sounds like to be a very grim brutal movie is actually quite funny in parts Hmm. and it really addresses toxic masculinity Hmm. and it's raw it's funny it's brutal it's sad and it is a london movie that is very much indie film and i I, yeah I, i i recommend it that sounds fantastic love it what about you brian anything to recommend yeah so the idea that we need a certain amount of self-deception came from a podcast, which is a fantastic podcast out of WNYC called Radio Lab, And they have just mm. crazy in-depth yeah. stories that's really sonically interesting. And this yeah. particular episode was the November 19th episode called Deception. So if you want to listen to that, and that's all about lies and lying. So it's, it's a really great listen. And so I would recommend that to our listeners. Veritable smorgasbord. And as a reminder, Friday, December 18th, uh, tune into, you can go on Instagram, go to Palma Music Studios, and they have a direct link to the ticket site where you can get entry to our live streaming concert from here in Palma de Mallorca to support local food banks. Great. All right, you guys. Well, I think we did it. I want to wish everyone out there happy holidays. Um, Merry Christmas or Happy Christmas, depending on which side of the Atlantic you are on. Happy Hanukkah and all of the other denominations. That all of the other denominations. <laughs> exactly. So take care, everyone. Stay safe. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Happy Bye. Christmas. Bye.